Okay, the title for our message tonight is Check Your Ticket. Check Your Ticket. You would think that with all the technology that is available today, destination mix-ups would be a rarity. But apparently, they're surprisingly common. An American dentist thought that he had bought tickets for the ancient city of Granada, Spain, He had planned a trip there. He had booked tours of the city. He was anticipating spending some time there. It wasn't until he was on board that he discovered the flight he was on was destined for the Caribbean island of Grenada. Two entirely different destinations on opposite sides of the planet. Well, the airline refused to reimburse his first-class tickets, so the incident became the subject of a lawsuit. Remarkably, the same mix-up happened just the week before to another lady passenger. She, too, had planned a trip to Granada, Spain, but found herself on a flight bound for Grenada in the Caribbean. And she said, I genuinely don't blame anyone. The person at the other end of the phone didn't notice the spelling difference, and probably just misheard me. So I guess it's important to check your ticket carefully and make sure that the flight you're on is headed to the right destination. Dear friends, we're all headed to a destination tonight. It's an eternal destination, and when you get there, You can't get on another plane and come back. When you get there, that's where you stay. There's only two routes. There's only two destinations. And there's only two kinds of passengers. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat, because... Straight is the gate, and narrow is the way, which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Which way are you on tonight? Which flight are you on? What destination are you headed for? You know, there's many people who think they're headed for heaven, when in reality, they are not. And when they land in hell, it'll be too late to rebook. It'll be too late to change destinations. Heaven and hell have no return flights. They're one-way tickets. They're one-way destinations. But there's good news tonight, dear friends. If you've not arrived at hell's gate, if you've not arrived at the wrong destination, you can still change planes. And you can still get on your way to heaven. If you're on your way to heaven, leave your seatbelt on. Don't get off. Stay on that flight. And if you're not sure tonight what destination you're headed for, you can still make sure that you're headed for the right one. The choices we make today determine where we end up in eternity. And that makes life very serious. 
Life is short. The Bible says it's like a vapor. It's like a flower. Its duration is a dash. Its beauty is fragile. Life is a little like the appetizer before a dinner. It's a little like courtship before marriage. It's a little like going on a trip. And before you know it, you're back home again. Where will you spend eternity? This question comes to you and me. Tell me, what will your answer be? Where will you spend eternity? Heaven or hell? The decision is yours. Tonight, this message is divided into three parts. We want to look at the distinctions of the travelers. We want to look at the differences of the destinations. And then finally, the decision, where will it be? You can turn your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 16. We want to read verses 19 to 31 for a text. Luke chapter 16. Verse 19. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. We have two men here that were distinctly different. And they ended up in distinctly different destinations. Commentators are divided on whether this is an actual true account or whether it's a parable that was designed to teach a specific truth. We're not going to debate that tonight, but I will say this, that all the specific details that are given here in this account are 100% truth. And they're given by the Lord Jesus to give us a glimpse into destination hell. And I believe that they are real. I believe that the specific graphic detail that we are given about both destinations in Scripture are real. There's nothing fairy tale about it. It will be found as it's brought to us in Scripture. The distinctions of the travelers, number one, 
A distinction is a distinguishing feature. And those who are traveling to heaven and those who are traveling to hell are distinctly different. Some of these may be a little more difficult to distinguish, but if you observe carefully, you'll be able to see. Now, if you look at these two men, the difference of these two men in these verses, the difference between the rich man and Lazarus, one was rich, one was poor. One had a name, the other has no name. He's referred to as the rich man. One had finances, he fared sumptuously. He had fashion, he had many friends. Lazarus was full of sores. He was famished, he was frail, he was friendless. And it appeared like the one had God's favor, and the other appeared to be forgotten. But God could see the hearts of these men. He could see their desires. He could see their motivation. He could see their faith. And just like God could see the hearts of these Pharisees that Jesus was speaking to here. You know, the Pharisees had this idea that if anyone was rich, they had God's favor. In fact, if you weren't financially well off, then there was something wrong between you and God. And there's still that type of theory out there today. Maybe that held some water in the Old Testament dispensation, but friends, it does not hold any water today. In fact, Jesus repeatedly blessed the poor, and he repeatedly warned the rich. Jesus understood the side effects of riches, and especially the drive and desire to accumulate them. I'd like to look at this rich man first. Apparently, there was a story in Bible times that Jesus was possibly referring to here. There's more to this account than what meets the eye, but there was either a story or a legend. There was something, and and, and Jesus' audience here understood what story he was talking about. And the rich man in this legend or in this story was called Dives. That was his name in historical records. What was it about this rich man that sent him to hell? What kind of people are headed for destination hell? Well, the first thing, it's, it's those that have a disregard for the needs of others. I quote, This story was not intended to praise the poor and condemn the rich. It shows the dangers of turning away from the needs of others. It teaches that our attitude on earth will result in an eternal destiny that parallels our attitude. This rich man had a very selfish heart. A poor man can have a very selfish heart, of course. This rich man, he had the opportunity to share. He had the opportunity to reach out, and it was right at his own gate. It was right in front of his nose, and yet he failed to recognize it. Obviously, he ignored the needs of Lazarus. It says here in Scripture that he wore fine linen and purple, purple and fine linen, Doesn't sound like he shopped at Value Village or at the thrift store. This fine linen was apparently produced from a a special flax that grew on the banks of the Nile River down in Egypt. And it was a soft, white, fine linen. It was a much sought-after article of luxury. It wasn't stiff and coarse like much of the available fabric in that day. Apparently, some of the fine linen was so fine that it was called woven air. Now, I don't know much about dress material. I know that there's Liverpool and there's crimp and there's 
you know, different things like that. I haven't heard of woven air. I haven't heard of that yet. Maybe that's, maybe that's still coming. I don't know. But this purple was a dark red. It was nearly uh, a wine-colored cloth. It was made from a special dye that came, <clears throat> excuse me, from a special species of mussels or a rare kind of shellfish. And these mussels, these shellfish, they would harvest them and they would yield one drop of this special purple dye. And that's what they used to cover this woven air, this fine linen. Sounds like pretty, pretty precious stuff. Well, that's what this, that's what this man wore. He was dressed to the T. He shopped at the high-end menswear shops. Maybe he even had a custom tailor. We don't know. He ate well, too. No craft dinner and no wieners for this man. Prime rib for lunch, lobster and truffles for dinner with a bottomless fresh Chardonnay to top it all off. And this wasn't just his Christmas or Thanksgiving dinner menu. It says he ate this way every day. I wonder how his house looked. Obviously, he had a gate because Lazarus was laid there. And it was probably a beautiful wrought iron gate. Maybe it was an automatic gate that when the, the Mercedes or the Cadillac drove up, it just opened right up. I don't know. But he had a gate, and Lazarus was laid there. <clears throat> Maybe there was beautiful flower beds and landscaping outside of this gate. Maybe there was a bell that you rang for a porter to come and open it. This man had a sumptuous lifestyle, but he had a starved, selfish heart. Jesus doesn't say that he was a filthy man. He doesn't say that. He might have had good morals, but he had no money and he had no time for the need in front of his own gate. Let's turn back to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. Verse 41, Then shall he say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungered, and ye gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me not in, naked, and ye clothed me not, sick and in prison, and ye visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee in hungered, or a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye did it not to one of the least of these, ye did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. These people were so absorbed in their own lives that they didn't see the needs around them. If we would have read the earlier verses where it talks about the righteous, they were so involved in God's work, so involved in reaching out to the needs of others that they didn't even think twice about it. But the Lord saw it. You know, the road to hell is full of selfish people who ignore the needs of others. They ignore the needs that are right on their own doorstep while they live in extravagance and luxury. Take time tonight to meet the needs of those on your doorstep. 
Start with your family, your husband, your wife, your children, and then your neighbors. Who is your neighbor? Who is your neighbor? Well, the rich man asked that. There was a rich young man that asked that too one day, didn't he? Your neighbor is anyone that you come, that you come across that has a need and you can do something about. It is an eternal issue. It does affect our destination. It says in 1 Timothy 6, verse 17 to 19, Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. The Word of God is not condemning riches, but it is giving us direction how to use what God has given to us. Distinctions of those who are traveling to hell, to destination hell. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 21. We're going to spend a fair bit of time back in Revelation. Revelation chapter 21, keep your finger in, also in in Luke. Revelation 21, verse 8, it says here, But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Those who live in disobedience and doubt are headed for destination hell. And it says here in verse 8 of chapter 21 that it's the fearful and the unbelieving. Now, God has not given us the spirit of fear. He's given us the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. People do not need to live in the torment of fear. Jesus came to deliver us from those terrible taskmasters. But you know, like we looked at the first night, there was a generation of God's people who did not get to the promised land because they doubted God. They feared those giants more than what they feared God, and they entered not in because of unbelief. Disobedience and doubt are twin brothers. A person that does not believe in God won't obey Him and won't trust Him. And the problem with too many Christians today is they choose to believe, yea, hath God said, question mark, question mark, question mark, rather than yea, God has said, period. Repentance, salvation, and victory are all the results of believing what God says in His Word about sin and then trusting His promises. Hebrews 11, verse 6, Without faith it is impossible to please Him. Faith is the foundation for a person's entire Christian life. Those who, are, who, those who are traveling to destination hell, number three, are those who are defiled. Revelation 21, verse 27, the end of the chapter, it says there, And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination, or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. When a person is defiled, they're corrupt and they're polluted. They damage and they destroy. Revelation 22 verse 15 calls them dogs. It says, for without are dogs. 
A dog has no morals. His only guidance is his own limitations. And society today is full of men and women who live like dogs, running from one partner to the next, living in debauchery, feasting on porn. It talks here in Revelation 21, verse 8. We read this verse. It talks about a whoremonger, which is the Greek word for whoremonger is pernoas, and that is a male prostitute. Um, homosexuality, things that we talked about the other evening, are rampant in society. Those things defile a person. And people that are involved in those types of things will find themselves in destination hell. The media, the internet, is a pipeline of filth. Something we must be very, very cautious and careful with. Back in 21, verse 8, and chapter 22, verse 15, both these verses mention the word sorcerers. And that word sorcerers is an interesting word. It means pharmacous. It's the, Greek, the Greek word is pharmacous, and the Greek definition for that word means a pharmacist, a pharmacist or a druggist. It has the idea of a spell-giving potion. How many Christians today are on drugs for reasons that are not a true medical reason or a true medical condition? It's astounding how many will go to the pharmacist rather than the father. They use drugs to dull their conscience and alter their behavior instead of going to the foot of the cross. Are drugs a problem in the Mennonite church? I think, if we want to be honest, we can know the answer. Distinctions of those whose destination is hell are those who deceive. It says all liars here in in Revelation 21, verse 8, and also in verse 27. People who are not honest, people who are not real, people who are not what they claim to be are bound for destination hell. You know, there's a host of items that fit into this category. The entertainment industry, we talked a little about that. Much of its productions are not realistic to life. They glamorize sin. You take the religious machine, it's music, it's flamboyant performers living double lifestyles you'll find that in much of modern music, Christian, so-called Christian music. 1 Timothy 3, 2 Timothy 3, verse 5 says, Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such, turn away. The power of God makes a person real, and it makes their life holy. Remember, what you take in, what you eat, is what you become. This poor rich man here in Luke chapter 16, he was deceived. He did not expect to lift up his eyes in destination hell. He might have been religious, but his heart was cold. We looked at a few distinctions of those whose destination is hell. I'd like to just look at the destination itself for just a little. And Luke chapter 16 gives us a vivid description. It gives us a picture of what destination hell looks like. 
I'd like to read you a poem. It's a poem that I came across some time ago, and I believe this poem says it very well. It's called The Hellbound Train. Tom Gray lay down on the barroom floor, having drunk so much he could drink no more. So he fell asleep with a troubled brain and to dream that he rode on a hellbound train. The engine with murderous blood was damp and was brilliantly lit with a brimstone lamp. An imp for fuel was shoveling bones while the furnace rang with a thousand groans. The boiler was filled with lager beer and the devil himself was the engineer. The passengers were a most motley crew, church member, atheist, Gentile and Jew, rich men in broadcloth, beggars in rags, handsome young ladies, and withered old hags, yellow and black men, red, brown and white, all chained together, oh, what a sight. While the train rushed on at an awful pace, the sulfurous fumes scorched their hands and face. Wider and wider the country grew, and faster and faster the engine flew. Louder and louder the thunder crashed, and brighter and brighter the lightning flashed. Hotter and hotter the air became, till the clothes were burned from each quivering frame. And out of the distance there arose a yell, Ha ha, said the devil, we're nearing hell. Then oh, how the passengers all shrieked with pain, and begged the devil to stop the train. But he capered about and glanced and danced for glee, and laughed and joked at their misery. My faithful friends, you have done the work, and the devil can never a payday shirk. You've bullied the weak, you've robbed the poor, the starving brother you've turned from the door. You laid up gold where the canker rust, and you've given free vent to your beastly lust. You've justice scorned and corruption sown and trampled the laws of nature down. You have drunk, rioted, cheated, plundered, and lied, and mocked at God in your hellborn pride. You've paid your full fare, so I'll carry you through, for it's only right you should have your due. Why, the laborer always expects his hire, so I'll land you safe in the lake of fire, where your flesh will waste in the flames that roar, and my imps torment you forevermore. Then the cowboy awoke with an anguished cry, his clothes wet with sweat, and his hair standing high. Then he prayed, as he never had prayed till that hour, to be saved from his sin and the demon's power. And his prayers and his vows were not in vain, for he never rode that hellbound train. A vivid description of destination hell. Hell is a destination that no one wants to arrive at. Tim McVeigh, the man who bombed a government building back in Oklahoma City some years ago, he said, if there is a hell, then I'll be in good company. He was executed a short time later, and Tim McVeigh is finding out that there's nothing good about hell. Jesus gives us some graphic details. Hell is a destination of distress. It's a destination of distress. Luke chapter 16, verse 23, this rich man was in torments. In verse 24, he said, I am tormented in this flame, suffering, pain, 
anguish, agony, torment, torture, all describe the conditions of hell. This rich man is in torment. He's in extreme pain without a chance of relief. There is no Advil. There is no morphine in hell. He's terrible thirsty. Notice he asked Abram to send someone with a, He asked uh, that Abram come with a drop of water and put it on his tongue. Terrible thirsty. Researchers say that dying of thirst is one of the most excruciatingly painful ways to die. Except those in hell, they cannot die. They cannot die. They cannot escape that terrible pain. They cannot find relief. You also notice that a person has their five senses in hell. They have their memory. This rich man's memory is fully functional. He has painful memories. Even if he could have happy memories, they would do nothing for his tormenting pain. Six times in Scripture, Jesus warns in the Gospels, that there is weeping and gnashing of teeth in hell. Perhaps some of you have experienced that kind of pain. Pain so sharp, pain so bad that you've had to gnash your teeth. It's hard to comprehend, but it's real. The second thing we noticed about destination hell, it's a place of darkness. Jesus describes hell as a place of outer darkness. 2 Peter 2, verse 17 speaks about hell having a mist of darkness, a darkness so heavy that you can feel it. Jude 13 describes it as a blackness of darkness, and that has the idea of shrouding like a cloud. Those who love the works of darkness in life will live in unimaginable darkness in eternity. Darkness brings physical pain, especially to your, to your eyes. From what I've read, people that are in darkness, lit that, that, that are trapped in darkness for, for extended periods of time, experience terrible, painful pressure on their eyes. Darkness also brings psychological pain. It can cause depression. Hell also has a terrible smell. Revelation describes it as a lake of fire that burns with fire and brimstone. Brimstone is another word for sulfur. Sulfur has a terrible, noxious smell. Did you know that it's sulfur that makes a skunk's spray smell so bad? It's the sulfur. It has a smell of rotten eggs. Terrible heat and thirst. Terrible darkness. Terrible smell. Dear friends, no one in their right mind would ever want to live in a place like hell. The good news is you don't have to. That's the good news. That's the good news of the gospel is you don't have to. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Thank God there is a way to escape. I'd like to look now at the next person in the account here in Luke 16. And we want to discover what makes them distinctly different. It's interesting here that Lazarus is given a personal name. The rich man is just called the rich man. Lazarus has a personal name in this story. 
And the, and, and the name Lazarus means God is helper. The connotation is that poor Lazarus had God as his helper. God knew him. God was aware of his plight. And if God knew Lazarus, then Lazarus knew God. Friends, tonight, that's the, most, that's the most wonderful asset a person can ever possess, is to have the confidence that God knows you, that God knows you individually, and that you have a relationship with him and that you know him. Do you know God is a personal friend? Do you have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus, a connection with him? Prosperity doesn't get us into God's inner circle. Oh, yes, in this world it might get you into some inner circles, but it doesn't work that way with God. God doesn't have different rules. He doesn't pay more attention to people that have six-figure incomes. No, he doesn't. He does not. 2 Timothy 2, verse 19 says, The Lord knoweth them that are his. Let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Now, I'd like to look at a few distinctions of those who are on their way to destination heaven. Those who are headed for glory, number one, is they're dependent on God. Lazarus was dropped off at this rich man's gate. Perhaps he was a paraplegic. Maybe he had a bad accident. Maybe he had muscular dystrophy. Maybe his condition was just deteriorating so rapidly that they had to find a place to dump him off. Obviously, whoever dumped him off at the end of the rich man's driveway did so because they thought that that there would be the available resources there to meet Lazarus's need. He was malnourished. That's likely why he was full of sores. And that's what attracted the dogs. He was full of sores. Lazarus didn't smell very nice. That attracted the dogs. They came and licked his sores. And it's interesting here that the animals had more compassion on Lazarus than what his own kind did. A picture of a broken man. A picture of a man at the end of himself. His only hope was God, and God was all he needed. Lazarus' God had so much more than this poor rich man did. Lazarus knew his father in heaven, and that's what mattered. His father sent his angels to bring Lazarus home. How is it in your life tonight? Do you see your need of God? You see your need of a Savior. Do you see your wretchedness? Do you see your poverty? Do you see your need of God? Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. However, when we know God, nothing is impossible with Him. All we need is wisdom, His power, His grace, His direction, His salvation. Reach out and claim it and don't ever let go. Secondly, those whose destination is heaven are those that do his commandments. Revelation chapter 22. Let's just turn back there again. Revelation 22, verses 7 and verse 14. Those who do his commandments will end up in destination heaven. Verse 7 says, Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. And then verse 14 says, Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life, and may enter in through the gates into the city. Those who are destined for heaven understand that the word of God is given to them to help them get there. That's why it's been given, to help us get there, to help us make it. 
to destination heaven. It says in, in Matthew 7, verse 21, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Saying, talking is not enough. Talk is cheap. Talk only means anything if there's a life to back it up. Doeth here has the idea of present continual application. It's not just a once and done thing. It's something that we're involved in every day. The two greatest commandments are that we love the Lord with all the capacity we have to love, that He is at the center of our life, that He is first in our lives. Thou shalt love the Lord with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. The second is that we love our fellow men as ourselves. Everything else hangs off of that framework. Those who are on the plane to heaven are not ashamed of Jesus. No, they're not. He's their Lord. He's someone that they're proud to represent. He's someone that they're not ashamed to speak up for and to step out for. 1 John 5, verse 3 says, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. Number three, those who are headed to destination heaven have defeated the enemy. Revelation 21, verse 20. Revelation 21, verse 7. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. I will be his God, and he shall be my son. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 says, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Even our faith. You know, those who are headed for heaven have put their trust in Jesus and His Word. They're filled with His Spirit. They have given their lives to Him completely. They don't give up when temptations come. They don't turn around and go back when the way gets hard. Their will is to do the will of Jesus. You know, the reason that so many Christians are living in defeat tonight is simply it's a will problem. They're not carrying their cross with them. That's why we we take up the cross daily. Because we need to die to our wills daily in favor of the will of Christ. Oh, it's not that it's impossible. It says in Romans chapter 8, verse 37, that we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. More than conquerors, not just barely enough, but more than enough. More than enough. Victory is not some distant, unattainable dream. It's a reality, but only through Jesus. Revelation 12, verse 11 says, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. They were washed in the blood. They were walking in the word. And they were willingly giving their lives to Christ. What is the destination for those who depend on Jesus those who do his commandments, and those who defeat the enemy. I'm just going to read a song here. It goes like this. Someday, a bright new, someday, a bright new day will break upon the shore, and there will be no sickness 
No more crying, no more war, and little children never will grow hungry anymore. And there will be a bright new morning over there. There'll be a bright new world for us to share. Someday there'll be an end to unkind words and cruel. The man who said there is no God will know he is a fool. And peace will be the way of life, with love the only rule. And there will be a bright new morning over there. There'll be a bright new world for us to share. Someday, we know not when, the time on earth is done. And those redeemed from every land will all become as one. With voices of all ages, praising God the three in one. And there will be a bright new morning over there. There'll be a bright new world for us to share. Heaven is the desired destination for everyone. I think most people you asked would say, yes, that is their destination. That is where they want to go when they die. But there's too many that don't want to pay the price for the fare. But those who are willing will not be disappointed. We can't imagine the beauty, the glory, the wonder of heaven. It's indescribable. It's unimaginable. You know, the Bible gives us a little glimpse. And it's almost like reading the Taste of Home magazine when you're hungry. You see all those beautiful recipes in there. And it just makes your mouth water. And I believe for us as Christians, that's how it should be when we read the Word of God and what it, and the glimpse that it gives us into heaven. Perhaps the first point should be that heaven is indescribable because it says in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9 that I hath not seen nor ear heard, nor neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. And yet God's Word does give us a glimpse I'd like to read Revelation 21, verse 1 to 4, and 22, verses 1 to 5. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven, saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the formal things are passed away. Now over to chapter 22, verses 1 to 4. And he showed me a pure river of water, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, there was the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nation. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun, For the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. What a beautiful glimpse into destination heaven. First thing we see here, heaven will be glorious. 
because the curse will be deleted. There will be no more curse. Revelation 22, verse 3. There will be no more curse. Sin brought a curse on the human race. Disobedience to God always brings a curse. There's seven no mores here that I'd just like to briefly look at that will no more be in heaven. Revelation 21, verse 1 says, There will be no more division. It says there will be no more sea. No more division. The curse has brought much division, like the sea divides the land, families, marriages, friendships, churches. All experience division today. And it's because of the curse. Division brings pain. Not so in heaven. We'll be at peace and harmony. Division is inevitable at times on earth. In heaven, it will be no more. No more division. There will be no more disappointment. No more sorrow. Revelation 21 verse 4. No tears. No broken dreams. No unfulfilled expectations. Will there be tears of joy in heaven? Is that what the tears are going to be? It says God himself is going to wipe them away. There will be no failures. No frustrations in heaven. Lazarus never again experienced the disappointment of the dogs getting all the crumbs before he could get one. Or the rich man walking past him and not even giving him a glance. That will be all history. He'll remember those things no more. There'll be no more discomfort, no crying, no more pain. Revelation 21 verse 4. Imagine life without pain. No more Advil, no more morphine. No more doctors, no more bandages, no more ER rooms, no more headaches, no more back aches, no more tummy aches, no more discomfort. There'll be no more darkness, no night. Revelation 22, verse 5. Forever light, forever bright. You won't get tired. You won't need a sleep. You won't need night. No more seasons of emotional darkness. No more discouragement. No more depression. No more works of darkness. No more will we need to resist temptation. No loved ones wandering away into sin's night. No more. It's hard to imagine life with no night. There will be no more death. Revelation 21 verse 4. No shocking sudden messages. No policeman at the door in the middle of the night. We won't need to make funeral plans or go to viewings. No more goodbyes, no more graveside services, no more funeral homes, no more casket choices. No more the need to decide when to pull life support. It seems that heaven can be best understood by trying to understand what won't be there. No more damnation, division, or disappointment. No more discomfort or darkness or death. What a destination. What a destination. God will dwell with his people. Revelation 21 verse 3, notice it'll be God himself. On earth it was his son and his spirit. In heaven it will be God himself. Our all-knowing, all-loving, all-powerful God. We're going to live with Him and see Him face to face. It says, and they shall see His face. Those who have His Spirit living in their hearts today 
those who have his Son as their Lord and Savior, today will be those who dwell with God in eternity. Tonight, the decision. The decision. Are you headed for the right destination tonight? As you look into your heart, how do you answer that question? Does your life and conduct give evidence of the destination that you're headed for? Will you spend eternity with the rich man or with Lazarus? You must decide today. You must decide in every decision that you make in life. Jesus said in Luke chapter 16, verse 13, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Those who are headed for hell disregard the need of others. Those who are headed for hell live in dread and doubt. Those who are headed for hell are defiled and deceived. Dear friends, you don't need to go to that destination. And if you're on the wrong plane, there's still opportunity to get on the right one tonight. Isaiah 55 verse 7 says, Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him and to our God. For he will abundantly pardon. I like that. Abundantly pardon. Not just barely, but abundantly. Those who are traveling to heaven, by the grace of God, are depending on Jesus. They're doing his commandments. And with God's help, they're defeating the enemy. Tonight, the decision is yours. God has given each one of us the freedom to choose our destiny. Revelation 22, verse 17 says, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. Tonight, as you look into your heart, what destination are you headed for? We're going to ask our song leader to give us an invitation number. We want to sing an invitation tonight. And if you're not headed for the right destination, then this invitation is for you.